Well, good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you here. Look at this place, huh? It's awesome. Someone in our last service said, where'd all these people come from? I said, online. <laughs> it's great to have you here in person in Plymouth. Wonderful to have you at our regional campuses. And of course, if you're gathered with us online, so thankful that you're here as we continue in this series called The Parables. I don't think that I will have to convince you to embrace as fact my next sentence. Our world is defined by conflict. It just is. Look back into the past, look at the present, defined by conflict, fighting between nations, fighting between religions, fighting between cultures fighting over political views, fighting within families, fighting among individuals, you name it. And the reason is simple. Humanity, by nature, has chosen to reject God's values and God's truth. And as he promised, it's just not working. It's just not. In fact, if we're ever going to embrace the ideas that Jesus taught in his parables, his stories, then we have to, first of all, look at our reality. And our reality is really quite clear. By nature, we tend to reject those, to push those away who are different from us. I mean, we just don't understand them, so we reject them. They're not like us. We reject them, and we don't want them around us, and they don't want us around them. It's a part of human nature. And, man, God says that's messed up. That's not how he designed us at all. In James chapter 2, verses 1 and 9, he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you should be different. You must not show favoritism. That's the way of humanity. But that shouldn't be the way of my followers, Jesus is saying. And then he just says it straight up in verse 9. If you show favoritism, you sin you're living contrary to God's truth and values and will and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. But that is our nature. I mean, when people are different from us, when we don't understand, they can threaten us and we can easily push them away and reject them. But God's truth is antithetical to our nature. You see, by nature, God accepts anyone and everyone who comes to him. Anyone, you, me. In fact, in Romans 2.11, it simply states his antithetical character. For God does not show favoritism. God's not more for me than he is for you. God's not more for us than he is for others. We're not any better or worse. God accepts anyone and everyone who comes to him. John 6, 37, Jesus stated it, The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And that's interesting because the context of our story this weekend, of the parable this weekend, is that, that the religious people, those who claim to represent God, those who claim to know God, those who claim to be leading the world to God, we're trying to reject those who didn't measure up to their religious standards and their religious ideals, those who had failed and had flaws as if they themselves didn't. And they were coming to Jesus and 
he wasn't casting them out, and the religious people of Jesus' day were upset about it. And that's the context of the story. Here's what we have to understand. Human nature and its values are so ingrained in us that even after we choose to follow God and to follow his truth, to embrace his values, it still can be very difficult for us to live them. This explains to those of you who may still be outside of a relationship with Jesus or not really love the idea of church so much or Christians so much, it explains some of the bad behavior among those who claim to follow Jesus and to follow his truth. That Even though we've embraced the idea of following him and embracing his values and truth, we're ingrained in our humanity still. And that's what Jesus came to redeem us from and to fix, but we have to let him. So in the stories that he told, we'll share two this weekend of the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. We see it. Let's, let's let his words impact us and then we'll upload them into our lives. Now, the tax collectors, Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, just so you know, tax collectors back then were just like tactic tax collectors today, the worst of the worst. Okay, maybe, maybe that's not true. Back then, tax collectors were different than tax collectors today, had no basis of integrity, no basic of ethics. All they had to do is raise a little bit for Rome, and then they could extort anything they wanted for themselves. So they all got rich off the backs of other people. They were considered the worst of the worst. And so the tax collectors and the sinners, obviously the clearly flawed and clearly broken people living out choices of darkness, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now this is really good news. When the empty, the broken, the dark, the hurting, the flawed, the failed are gathering around to hear God's truth, we should rejoice and be excited, but that's not what was going on here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people claiming to know God back then, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He cares about these people. He shouldn't. What were they doing? They were living out their human nature, rejecting people who were different. What was Jesus doing? He was living out his own values, God's values and truth, accepting everyone and anyone, caring about everyone who would come to him. And so Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. A shepherd doesn't say, Hey, I've got 99. We're all comfortable here. This is okay. Who cares about the one lost sheep? A shepherd says, I care about the lost sheep. And that's God with all of us. And so... Jesus then asserts into this story that just like the shepherd says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who does not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins 
and loses one. All of a sudden, he makes a switch. He's telling the same exact story, only he's using different items. Why does he go from shepherd and sheep to coins? I'll tell you why. Because most people don't really care about sheep, but most people really care about money. And says, okay, maybe the sheep thing didn't get you, but this one will. There was a lady who had 10 silver coins and she loses one. What does she do? She lights the lamp and sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, I cashed in my Bitcoin. Oh my gosh. Calls her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In these stories, Jesus gives lessons that can transform our lives, can transform our church, and churches can transform our world if we'll just listen and apply. So let's look at a few. In the story, Jesus teaches clearly that God values and cares about everyone and anyone. You know the person you're rejecting? Yeah, God cares about that person. You know the person whom you think you're better than? Yeah, God cares about that person. He cares about everyone and anyone. You know, those of you here who think that you're lesser than others, God cares about you just like he cares about those you see as being better than you. God values and cares about everyone and anyone. And by the way, this is what Jesus tells us in the story. He's saying God cares about even the lost sheep, even the lost coin. Second Peter 3, 9, Peter, who walked with Jesus, says, this is what Jesus taught us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In these stories, Jesus teaches us that God actually reorders his world to rescue everyone and anyone turns his world upside down in order to reach the one lost sheep, the one lost coin. What's he saying? He could stay and be comfortable with the 99. You know, enough people are there. We have enough sheep already, but he's not. Because as long as there's one that doesn't know Jesus, as long as there's one that's lost, as long as there's one that's still broken, God will turn his world upside down. And how did he do it? Jesus left heaven and came to earth and wrapped himself in flesh to live the life that he didn't have to live, the perfect life, so that he could die the death that we all deserve to die and be buried and raised again because God reorders his world to rescue the lost. 1 Timothy 1.15 says it. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world not to spend time with really good religious folk. Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. God reorders his world like the shepherd for the lost sheep, like the woman for the lost coin, to rescue anyone and everyone, to rescue you and me. In these stories, Jesus teaches us that the, God's greatest joy is different 
from the joy of humanity. God's greatest joy is found in restoring his relationship with everyone and anyone. The religious leaders of that day were rejoicing that they kept the failed and the flawed and the bad and the evil away from them. But Jesus says, it's wrong. It's not like God at all. God's greatest joy isn't found in being separated from those people. God's greatest joy is being found in restoring his relationship with them. Luke 15, 7, Jesus says it straight up. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who's found, who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Isn't it about time that those who claim to know God start being more like God? Isn't it about time that those who claim to know God stop following the Pharisees and the religious leaders and start following and listening to and living out what Jesus taught us in his parables? You know why we don't? We don't because we keep thinking it's other people. That's what the religious did. It was other people who were the problem. But it's not. In, the, in these stories, and the Pharisees got it, I promise you, and we need to get it. In these stories, Jesus is saying, you're all upset about these sinners who are gathering around me? Don't you know you're one of them? Jesus is saying that we're all the lost sheep. There, who are the 99? We're all lost sheep. We're all lost coin. We're all lost and desperately need God to rescue us. For us to be looking at others and thinking we're better than them is to miss the entire reality. And all Jesus is doing is parroting what he had already said to humanity. Look what he said through Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 6. We, what's that second word? Yeah, we had about 3% of the all just kind of joining in on that. We all, like sheep. Oh, there's why he's talking about the sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Who are we? We're all the lost sheep. We're all the lost coin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us, every one of us, has turned to his own way. It explains why this world is so messed up. It's because we are so messed up. It explains why this world is so lost. It's because we, by nature, are so lost. Romans 3.23 says it right to us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 makes it clear that the penalty, the wages, the outcomes of our sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in these stories, Jesus gives us lessons, and these lessons shouldn't just be like aha moments, you know? It shouldn't be like, well, those were good. Time for us to go eat. They should have an application. They should have an impact, or they aren't worth it. If there was no change to the Pharisees and religious leaders, these stories didn't have the God-intended outcome. 
And the same is true with us. And so I believe these stories, at the very least, should lead each and every one of us to ask two very important and very personal and very relevant questions. And here's the first question. What should we do if we're still one of the lost? Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every single one of us has turned to our own way. For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For none of us deserve anything but separation from God and death. So what, what should we do if we're still one of the lost? Well, let me tell you what he says. The first thing you should do, as he's clearly acknowledged in these stories, is you should make the choice to acknowledge your need. I'm a lost sheep. I'm the lost coin. I'm the one that's blown it. I'm the one that needs to be redeemed. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, acknowledge our need, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. How can he do that? Because he reordered his world to come and die on the cross and be buried and raise again so we could be forgiven and become children of God. And when we acknowledge our need, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. If you're still one of the lost, you should acknowledge you're lost. What should you do if you're still one of the lost? Well, once you acknowledge you're lost, you need to make the choice to accept God's gift. I mean, the sheep didn't go, you know, he didn't bite the shepherd. I don't know if that's a goat or a sheep. I have no idea. I don't know. Roof, roof. I don't know. I'm a city person. But here's the thing. The sheep was glad to be rescued. Do you see the sheep fighting? No. Sheep knew it was lost, and thank God I'm found. We need to make the choice to accept God's gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we do it? John 1.12 says it. Yet to all who receive Jesus, to those who put their belief, their trust in his name, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives them the right to become children of God. Have you done it? Now, just so you know, every other aspect of that story is for those who are no longer the lost. But every other aspect of these stories means nothing until you've become one of the found. And so I can't even imagine going forward without giving you the chance. And so I know this is really odd, not even normal, but here we are in the middle of the talk, but I think it's a good moment to pray, don't you? And so would you just for a moment, wherever you are, just bow with me in a word of prayer. And if you're driving, please do not bow for this prayer, but just bow with me just for a moment. And if you're still one of the lost, just pray with me. You don't have to be dramatic about it, but just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I'm lost. Man, I've sinned, I've fallen short, I don't know you, I'm lost. But I know you came and died in my place and rose again, and so by faith I'm accepting your gift. Here's my sin. By faith, I'm receiving your forgiveness. Save me in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, if you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you. Let us know. You can see on the screens, wherever you're at, all you have to do is send us a text and the word Northridge to the number there, and we'll send you a link you can fill out and then send that to us so that we can get you a New Testament Bible and some information of the next steps you can take. But once you're no longer the lost sheep, there's a question. And the second question is, what should we do if we're now one of the found? What should the Pharisees have done? What should we do if we're one of the found? Well, let's look at what the story tells us. If we're one of the found, if we are no longer lost, but we've experienced the shepherd saving us, what, what should we do? Well, we should start by honoring God by making the choice to value and care about people like he does because human nature rejects others who are different but God accepts and loves them shouldn't we make the choice to honor him by doing the same shouldn't the one place in the world where people who are different but not rejected be the church of Jesus Christ? I mean, shouldn't that be the one place on the planet? First John 4, 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What should you do if you're now one of the found? Well, you should honor God by making the choice to reorder your world to rescue other people. The lost sheep should care about other lost sheep when that lost sheep gets found, right? No one should care about lost sheep more than people who have been lost sheep found. We should care deeply about rescuing people so much that we reorder our world. That's what Je Jesus left heaven. He didn't say, I'm comfortable with the 99. Grass is good. Music's good, they play the organ, they wear suits and ties and speak really pious spiritual language. It's awesome. It's not what he said. I don't know where all that other stuff came from, but it, it applies. Churches love to make themselves comfortable. I know there are lost sheep out there, but we're doing fine. But Jesus was doing fine in heaven, but he said, I'm going to turn my world upside down to rescue lost sheep and shouldn't his church do the same thing? Shouldn't we be willing to give up everything that makes us comfortable and makes us feel secure to try and rescue people? It's what Paul the Apostle did. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 and 22. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I've reordered my world to rescue people, he said. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul had been a Pharisee who hated the rabble that was around Jesus, but Paul became a person who understood he was the rabble. He was, he was the lost sheep, and he reordered his whole world to rescue other lost sheep. Have you? What should we do if we're now one of the found? Well, we should honor 
God, by making the choice to find our greatest joy and our greatest celebration to be about people finding Him. That's what we should get excited about. Our greatest joy and our greatest celebration should be because people are finding Him. But that's not our human nature. But it's His. We should have more joy over these people who are following Jesus and getting baptized than we do about anything in our lives. That's what the early church did. Acts 2.47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They found joy and celebration and people finding him. That's how his church should be. Okay, so there's the story and the questions with all the answers but one. But before we get to the last answer of what we should do if we're now one of the found, I, let me just say, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is a special weekend around here at Northridge. Very special weekend. This weekend we're celebrating 25 years this month here in Plymouth at this campus that we're now experiencing together. And uh, 25 years. So I, I want to use our church, because of the 25-year anniversary we're celebrating, as an example of what Jesus was telling us in these stories. And I don't want to use our church because we're the perfect church. I don't want to use the church because we're a church without flaws. I, because we're not a perfect church, and we're not a church without flaws. But I want to use our church because the truth is that these parables right here helped motivate us as a church family, helped motivate us 25 years ago as a church family to do what it took to leave our comfortable. We were comfortable in our other place. We were settled in our other place. We owned our other place. We knew our other place. We were secure in our other place. These stories of Jesus motivate us to leave our comfortable to come here because there were lost sheep that needed to be found. And I'm so proud that as a church family, we've been seeking to make these choices for decades. Again, we haven't done it perfectly, but we've consistently fought to live out these truths from these parables. And God has blessed how other sheep have been found. It explains who we are today and how we got here. And it's beautifully illustrated in the choices that this church family, way small and from a way different place, began making as a church family nearly 30 years ago. The truth is, these two parables are our story. This is where the vision of our relocation begins. This is our 55.8 acres, folks, right here in Plymouth Township. And it's a vision that God has been leading us towards over the past several years through one miraculous event after another. We get to go into the promised land of God's making for us. It is a new time. It is a new generation. Think about this. Before this world was ever created, God had it in his mind that this piece of property and this great creation of his would be used for nothing but for his glory. 
The dirt that we break right now was designed long before you and I were ever here to be a part of the kingdom that God wanted to build. And so as we dig this ground, we do this realizing that it's only through God's will and God's power that it all comes to be. by faith that David slew Goliath. It's by faith that we have found our land. It's by faith we have designed our new building. It's by faith that we have faced the approval process. It was by faith that we committed to giving close to $2 million over the next couple of years, and it will be by faith that we raise all the finances we need for all three phases and beyond. It is by faith that we will finish construction of phase one. It is by faith that we will move into phase two and phase three eventually. It's by faith. that this church would go on using this holy ground that you have given and set aside for it, that this church would go on to reach the world for Christ and to make a difference. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As you saw in that video, in those early days, everything we were doing was about taking huge steps of faith. We didn't know what this place would become. We didn't know what God would do here. We had no idea. It was scary. We were leaving the comfort of a meadow we knew where we were secure because of these lost sheep that were out there somewhere, and we weren't even sure we'd be able to reach those lost sheep. But we believe that's what Jesus wanted us to do. Without those steps of faith, where you're seated right now might still be just a pumpkin patch, because that's what this place was. But by faith, it's not. And wow, has God honored that with unbelievable influence and life change because the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin is the story of what God wants us to be about as his people. 
In fact, I show you this. Since we moved here in 1997 of March, we've had over 10 million people come and sit in these seats. 10 million. We know of, these are people who told us they made decisions, 53,000 plus spiritual decisions right here. If we had stayed with the 99, these seats would have hosted no one. But because we followed Jesus and were motivated by him, it changed everything. And I'd, I'd just be really, really curious. This is more my curiosity than anything else. How many of you were at our very first service here in Plymouth those many years ago? Would you raise your hand? Look at there are still some here. That's awesome. It's great to see you. Yep, in the back. All of us are 102 now, but uh, it's crazy. I want to mention our regional campuses and those of you watching online, if we hadn't come here, we would be a church that was about ourselves and not about reaching lost sheep. We wouldn't be in your communities. We wouldn't be coming to you. We wouldn't even care about you. But Jesus taught us to care. Other sheep he wants who are yet lost. As you saw in the video from nearly 30 years ago, I also said that it was by faith we would do ministry financially. If, you know, we didn't come here with stuff. Basically didn't even have any people. Think about this. I was the pastor back then, and I, you saw me. I was like three years old at the time. It was like crazy. And uh, we didn't have much of anything, including people. But we stepped out and said, you know what, God? There was a lot of lost sheep that you died for that we want to reach. And so we said, man, by faith, we'll trust you even financially and God has provided. We're not rich today as a church. People look around and go, that church must be rich. Now, you know who comes to this church? You. <laughs> you know, seriously. And we give sacrificially out of the few loaves and the few fish he's given us and God has compounded that to make it possible for us to do this ministry that has reached so many, and, and it hasn't end there, by the way. I made a commitment when I was that young leader, said we're not going to rob the next generation by putting them into debt so that we can enjoy our lives now. We're going to trust God to do this, and I, I have no intention of leaving as a pastor to the next generation debt. We're going to trust God to pay that off and the good news this past fall we paid off all of our remaining debt and we are a debt-free ministry by faith and plus just so you know people go yeah look what you built yourselves first of all this isn't for us it's for the lost it's what our whole ministry is about but we've never just invested inward we've always invested outward we believe that with what God gives us, we should be investing outward to ministries that have nothing to do with our compassion ministries and outreach ministries. And so compassion outreach in the past 25 years, best we can total it in just straight dollars truly given by our church family. We invested in ministries around the world, hospitals and orphans and community development around the world in the name of Jesus, 13 million plus dollars around the world for compassion. 
not including the compassion we do in our daily and weekly ministry. We've sent 174 teams of people, big teams of people, to help with Katrina and things nationally and things internationally. It's like seven huge trips a year to make a difference, which isn't included in that 13 million number. Why? Because we care about the lost sheep. Because that's what we were. And now as we celebrate, we don't want to just look back at once we, what we once did. We're not a museum of what God once did. We want to be a mission of where God is still working and still reaching and still impacting. We want to keep making an impact as we move to the next generation, the next 25 years. I'm now leading in every way I can for this church to be better when I'm gone than it was while I'm here because he cares about the lost sheep. And so as we celebrate what God's done, we want to renew our commitment as a church family to honor God with our choices. You know, the choice to value and care about people, the choice to reorder our world and not get comfortable so we can rescue people, the choice to find joy and celebration and people finding him. So in order to do this, at this celebration, I think we can't make it about us. We're going to make, as a result, we're going to make a huge compassion gift to the people and churches of the Ukraine through Samaritan's Purse as a part of our celebration. In fact, in honor of all God has done in and through our church in the last 25 years since moving to this campus, in honor of those 25 years, we as a church family are going to give up to 250000 as a match to your giving to help the people of Ukraine. And we're going to help provide food and basic needs which are going to be needed now and into the future. And we're not going to do through secular organizations or governmental organizations, glad those exist. We're not going to do it through just typical philanthropic ways. We are going to invest these funds to the hurting people through churches in Ukraine and through churches in the countries that are receiving those refugees on the border because it's Jesus that needs to reach these lost sheep. So here it is simply stated as a way to celebrate our 25 years here for every dollar you give in the next couple of weeks, we'll announce the results at Easter, we'll give a matching dollar up to 250,000, so so your head can be around it. That means we could, in a matter of a couple of weeks, be giving a half million dollars to the churches in Ukraine and the surrounding countries to help the people of the Ukraine. That's a lot. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty cool way to celebrate. Some people have been calling and saying, so what cool thing are you buying for us to remember this moment? Go buy yourself something. We're not buying you nothing. We're, we're going to send money to the people who are hurting and dying around the world so that the church of Jesus Christ around the world can help save them. That's what we're going to do. And you might be saying, how do we participate? Well, you're going to see it on the slides. All you have to do is text Ukraine to that number, 31616, and it'll tell you all kinds of ways that you can give. And just so you know, do you, do you know how we can do a $250,000 match of everything you give between now and Easter? Do you know how we can do that? Because you have given so generously to this ministry by sacrifice already that 
we can do that. This is what the church of Jesus Christ should be. This is what we should celebrate. And if you want to know more about it, I'd encourage you, watch my Thursday Live this week. I'll do anything to get you watching Thursday Live, won't I? But watch Thursday Live. I have a YouTube channel. The church has a YouTube channel. Facebook page. I have one. The church has one. Go to that at 7.16 p.m. on Thursday night, and I'm going to be interviewing Billy Graham's grandson, Edward Graham, because he's leading out the effort through Samaritan's Purse in order to get this to the right places, the right churches to help the right people, and I'm so excited about that, but you get to be a part of this. And while not nearly as important, if I could just throw in as an aside, if you're here in person in Plymouth right now, and I'm sorry I can't do this for those of you, you know, anywhere else right now, but if you're here in Plymouth, I, I hope you'll join us for our in-person campus celebration after service in our 16th Central. And as a special gift to you, obviously we're giving our gift to the churches of Ukraine and the people of Ukraine. We, but as a special gift, we can give you the experience of celebration. And we have a jazz band and we have decorations celebrating 25 years and we have a celebration moment. We might even have some non-healthy calories to invest in your life. I'm, I don't know, but, but don't miss that. The last two services have just jacked me up seeing all the people celebrating who wouldn't be here if a few people back then didn't say, we're going to leave the 99 and we're going to go and find the lost sheep because Jesus is the one we're following. Can you imagine what would happen if we today do what we did then? Because it's not just a few little sheep, is it, that are here. Can you imagine the impact we can have? Can you imagine... 25 years from now, how many millions of people could be impacted if we just follow Jesus' story today? So let me give you one last choice we need to make in response to these stories. This is probably the most important one. The Pharisees got to see Jesus and they rejected him because he let people around him who <laughs> were different than them. They didn't like it. And you know why the Pharisees did that? It's because they forgot who they were and where they came from and what they needed. So our last choice and response should be to honor God by making the choice to never forget where we came from. I wasn't born on a platform with the privilege of talking about Jesus and knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus. I was lost, broken, and so were you. And I hate it when people who were lost and broken somehow forget all of that and look down on other people. We need to never forget where we came from and we need to remember we were lost and without hope. Ephesians 2.12 says it, Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ without hope and without God in the world. When lost sheep found, remember what it was like to be lost. You know what they do? Anything possible to help other lost sheep. I want that to be Northridge. Today, in the future. I hope you do too.
In conclusion, in order to continue experiencing God and being used by God in the future like we have been in the past, we need to keep fighting to live out Jesus' truth in the parables because every day it's a wrestling match for me. Will my human nature win or will Jesus' truth and values win? Will I live to be comfortable? And I've been here 32 years. It would be so easy for me to say, served my time, paid my rent, I'm going to ride the good ship lollipop into my walker. That's what I could be doing. But that's not what Jesus would do. Jesus would say, as long as I give you breath, as long as I give you life, keep fighting for the lost sheep. So let's make that choice together so that this church never becomes a museum of what God once did but it remains a mission of what God is now doing, loving and saving lost sheep. Let's shine that light into the world. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you've come. I'm so proud to be part of this family, and I can't wait to see what God has for us in the future. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.